0: So we have had a series, kind of like a theme as a church for this year, From Here to There. And we haven't been super overt with it or anything. We haven't titled a series From Here to There or anything like that. But we have kind of been talking about this idea of journeys, this idea of where you are is a place to, like a step to where you could be in your relationship with God. And so I want to start this morning with a little throw of a question. Where were you on Sunday, the 13th of January this year? Because that's where I was standing, give or take here. I'm wearing a different shirt than I was wearing than I'm wearing today. Uh, and my wife, who took this photo, uh, was sitting just there, and she took that photo of me. Now, some of you may have been here in the room on Sunday, the 13th of January, 2019. You might have been on holiday, you might have been wishing you were on holiday, you might have been sick at home, wherever you were, okay, you were somewhere on the 13th of January. And odds are You had some plan, some idea, some vision, and you could jokingly call it the 2020 vision of where you'd be a year from now, right? Because next year is 2020, and it's a lame joke that I can, it's like, you'd know that sermons next year, like the first sermon of January next year is going to be called, here's the 2020 vision. (laughs) And now I'm wearing glasses, so it just like, just rubs it in even, even more. But you've got some idea, right? We kind of enter, and even if it's not from the beginning of this year, when we enter adulthood or when we enter school or, or whatever, like we have an idea of like the way things are going to go. We come up with this plan in our head of when we're going to be graduated by. Um, do you want to just get rid of the background on that? Because that'll make it easier for everybody else to see. Oh, that's all of them. Just the background. There we go. Graduate. We have some sort of plan of when we'll graduate by, when we'll be married by. And we don't put like specific dates on this, but like there's a ballpark figure of when we'd like to, you know, the logical progression of thing. When we'd like to start a business, when we'd like to be our own boss, when we'd like to become the manager of something. When we'd like to have kids by. Again, ballpark figure, we have sort of set this plan in place. When we'd like to retire by, we have these ideas in our head. And going back to the 13th of January, the plan that I had for where I would be through the rest of this year, is not what happened. Because on the 13th of January, I was the youth pastor of our church and I was hosting breakfast on REMA, the biggest Christian radio station in the country. And a few weeks after the 13th of January, I saw a job opportunity on Facebook to produce talkback for News Talks ZB. And I took that opportunity and that is now my job. And because that's now my job, I had to kind of let go of the uh, leading the student ministry here and got to hand that over to the beautiful Rupert that you got to meet a couple of weeks ago. So... Where I thought I was going to be at the end of this year, where I thought my there was, it's not there anymore. I'm going somewhere different. And this happens to all of us. And, and maybe it's not like in my situation where like, those were decisions that I made to kind of go somewhere else. Maybe it's things that have happened to you. Maybe it's that relationship that broke down, that job opportunity that you thought you were a shoo-in for and then the promotion gets given to someone else and that hurts. The diagnosis that you weren't expecting but then you got and where you thought you were headed, it's not an option. Anymore. That dream that you had, those wishes that you had, that hope, that vision that you had for your from here to there, that there's not there anymore. And maybe you've said some version of, of this. God, I thought this was your plan for my life. I thought I was on the right track. I thought that if I played it by the book, if I studied hard, then everything would make sense. I thought if I worked hard, then the job opportunity, the job promotion would be mine. I thought if I was good in my relationships, then I would get what you're supposed to get when you're good in your relationships. I thought everything would go the way it is supposed to go. And maybe through circumstances outside of your control, it hasn't gone that way. And we're left angry and frustrated, and by the nods in the room, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. Now, before we move on, a couple things. To the people in the room, because statistically, in a room this size with this number of people, there are people who this is, like right now, that you got the letter yesterday, or you got the phone call yesterday, or you intercepted the text message, a couple of weeks ago, and this is right in the thick of where you're at, of where you thought you were going to be, and that there isn't there anymore. And so a couple things I want to kind of just launch to you before we kind of move on. Number one, a broken dream, when you're there, isn't there anymore, a broken dream doesn't mean that you're broken. Hold on to that hold on to that, okay? Teenagers, like um, 11, 12, 13-year-olds in the room, when you have plans, when you have wishes, when you have dreams, and they don't go that way, that doesn't mean that you're broken. Because God made you on purpose for a purpose. And that's actually the second point. Even when your dreams can't come true, there's still a purpose for you. That one rhymes. So hopefully you remember that one even when your dreams can't come true because of a choice that you made or a choice that somebody else made or some natural circumstance. Again, you think of the people of Christchurch. The 13th of January, they had a plan for how their year was going to go. And then a couple months later, a whole lot of those dreams were over. A whole lot of them were over. And we don't live in the same country we lived in 10 months ago. Where we thought we would be, that there isn't there anymore, but there is still purpose for you and for me. What rubs salt in the wound when this kind of thing happens is it's often, we live in this like age of social media and comparison and stuff and it's so easy to look on Instagram or look on Facebook and see that everybody else's dreams are coming true and it hurts even more because right when you've got the rejection letter from the university or the rejection letter from work and you've gone to hundreds of job interviews and they're still saying no all of your friends seem to be going it's coming up roses and they're getting everything that they want and you're the one who's playing to buy the book and they're not doing the way things they're not doing things the way that you know is the right way to do things and it doesn't seem fair and we get even more and more frustrated and if that is you then it's, it's, it seems so trivial to say, and there is no other thing to say than sorry. And, and I'm not saying sorry because I'm here and you're sitting there, or I'm not saying I'm sorry because I feel sorry for you. I'm saying sorry because it sucks, and it hurts, and it, it does something to your insides, and it, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. That's why that's the phrase, heartbroken. Now, if you're a Christian... And if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'm so glad you're here this morning, and hopefully there is some truth in what I say that you can kind of take away and apply to your life. But if you are a Jesus follower in the room this morning, then, you've got, then, then there's something that you need to know. The men and women who brought the story and teachings of Jesus through the generations, The men and women who faced so much persecution and faced so many trials, who went through so much to bring the teachings to us today, know exactly what it is to have dreams not come true. Have it there that they were shooting for, and then have that there not be there anymore. They know what it's like. A few examples. My favorite, 73 sleeps from now, we're going to celebrate Mary. Yes, I'm still counting down till Christmas. Mary's a teenager, and an angel comes to this teenager and says, what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen. God is going to do something incredible in this world for this world, and you get to be a part of it. And it's going to upset some things. In this tiny little community, your reputation's going to end up in tatters, perhaps. You're not going to know what's going to happen next. And right when Jesus is born, as he's very, very young, a prophet comes to Mary and says, a sword will pierce your soul. And Mary, this teenager is going, this is not how I saw this going. I had plans. I had dreams. I had this idea of what my future was going to look like. And a sword piercing my soul is not it. And yet she says this most famous line, right? I am the Lord's servant. John the Baptist steps onto the pages of history as a, as a wild young man, and he kind of sets the stage for Jesus entering kind of his, his time of ministry. And then just a few short years later, or less than, less than a few years later, someone comes to him and says, this is over, your 15 minutes of fame are coming to an end, a lot faster than you thought they were, and in a lot uglier fashion. It's not going to go well for you. And John says to the people who are there and to the person who delivers this news, it's not what I want. It's not how I would have done it. I would have loved to have been able to stay, stay here and see God's kingdom come and to see this whole thing, you know, to see a nation restored. But yet a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. We know this one, Jesus, the night he's arrested is praying in the garden, and he says, God, if, if I was writing the script, I would have written a different ending. And I love this because it's one of the most human things ever. God, I can see what's coming, and I don't want it to go this way. It's going to hurt, and I wish there was a different way, but at the end of the day, heavenly Father, not my will, but yours be done. You've seen people do this. Sure, you've seen people go the other way. You've seen people resist. You've seen people who let fear when things go wrong and failure, they, they, that, that sets up their decisions. They panic. They, they give up. They lose faith. They start making decisions. And you've seen this coming, and you've probably got stories of your own that you could tell where when stuff has gone wrong, you have just said yes to the very next thing, knowing full well that it wasn't a thing you should have said yes to. But you did it. You have seen people who do this though. You have seen people who do the opposite. The people that say, despite all of the failure, despite my dreams no longer coming true, I refuse to become cynical, I refuse to become bitter, I refuse to accept the label of a failure. You know people like this. You look at people like this and go, how in the world? Are they like that? Because if anybody had the right to go, I don't get it. I give up. I quit. It's over. You'd say it would be those people. Here's what I think happens to all of us. I think there's a little prosperity gospel in all of us. The prosperity gospel, if you don't know, is where I do this, God does that. I give one, God gives me ten. If I do this, then God has to do that, because that's the rule, that's the promise, that's the equation. And that that God who does what he says, He's the God who does because I do, doesn't exist. That, God, that, that version of Christianity is so easy to walk away from as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as God doesn't hold up the end of the bargain you thought he's supposed to hold up, that's when people walk away from faith. And again, you've probably seen that happen. Maybe that's a part of your story as well. That's not the original version of Christianity. There was no, you do this, I'll do this. You give me this, I'll give you that. That wasn't how it went. Jesus didn't offer an equation. Turn up to church three out of five Sundays. Read your Bible one out of seven days a week. Give sometimes. And then blessings. No. That's the version that as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as something doesn't go the way you thought it was gonna go, the way you wanted it to go, the way that maybe you had all of your hopes and all of those eggs were in that basket, as soon as it doesn't go, it's over. So easy to walk away from that. Jesus offers us something way better than an equation. He offers us an invitation, the invitation to follow me. Follow him. It's amazing. And we don't follow him just blindly based on nothing we follow him based on who he is and what he's done. We get to live on the other side of the resurrection. We know how the story rolls. And so this invitation that Jesus offered time and time again to people, lay down your life, pick up a cross, follow me, made no sense until he died, was buried, and then came back to life. And then it made all the sense in the world. And this is what galvanized the faith of those early Christians in the first century, because they knew who he was, they knew what he did, and they discovered that following Jesus, that's where peace is. Despite whatever kind of chaotic circumstances going on, despite whatever dream isn't coming true for me anymore, they said, I'm going to follow. Every day, they make this call to follow. There's a background on the next picture that we'll get rid of, David is what the word says. King David, right? As in David and Goliath David. He learned this the hard way. If you can't get rid of the picture, that's fine. David said something in his 60s that I think just explains this super well. But before I tell you what it is that he said, you need to know a little of his story to set up some context. So here is the quick version of David's life, and I will try not to stuff this up, okay? When David was a little boy, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. A few years go by, and David as a teenager, as a shepherd, because that was his job, goes to visit his older brothers who are fighting in Saul's army, King Saul's army. And when he goes there, there is this giant that is taunting Israel's army, And David sees the bigger picture. He says that he's not taunting Israel's army. He's taunting our God. And my God is bigger than any giant. And so David fronts up to Goliath. And you've seen the flannel graph. You've watched the Veggie Tales episode. You know that David slays Goliath in the Valley of Elah. And he becomes an overnight sensation. He is a rock star. Everybody knows about David, the anointed, soon-to-be, one-day-to-be king of Israel. Saul, slightly less thrilled. Because if people love David more than they love Saul, people will love David more than they'll love Saul's son, who was supposed to become king. And so Saul turns on David, and David is forced to flee the city as a young man, flee the city of Jerusalem. He runs off into the wilderness, and he gets to the city of Nob, which is a great town name, by the way. N-O-B, Nob. And there, in this blind state of panic, because the way he thought life was supposed to go isn't going that way anymore. David has run into the wilderness, and he finds a friend in the town of Nob, such a good name, Ahimelech. All right, Ahimelech is a priest, and when David gets to this town of Nob and he sees Ahimelech, Ahimelech asks, what's going on, mate? Like, where is the rest of the people that you normally travel with? You normally, you know, you are part of Saul's army. You're one of his, like, leaders. What's going on? Why are you here? What's, what gives? And David says, I'm here on an urgent mission from King Saul. David lied. Don't we do that? When we're in a state of panic, when things aren't going the way we thought they were going to go, don't we lie? David says, I was in such a rush to leave Jerusalem, I didn't even get any food. Have you got any food? And I was in such a rush on on King Saul's urgent mission. I didn't get any weapons. Have you got any weapons? Here's here's actually what he says. Do you have a spear or a sword here? I didn't bring my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was that urgent. And Ahimelech is looking at David going, you what? You left and you didn't bring a sword? Ahimelech replies, there is a sword here. And it's a sword that you know pretty well, actually. It's a sword, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, the giant that you killed. Remember that part? We've got that sword. That sword's here. It's the only one we've got, but that one's here. David says, I'll have that one. Give that sword to me. In this blind state of panic, as things haven't gone the way they were supposed to go, David says, I'll take that. And in taking that sword, it didn't fix David's issues. In fact, it sealed Ahimelech's fate because word gets back to King Saul that Ahimelech has aided Saul's enemy, David, And so Saul turns up to the town of Nob and doesn't just cut down Ahimelech. He cuts down everybody. All of the the priests, their wives, their kids, the infants, the sheep, all of the cattle, everyone in rage. Saul is furious. Time goes by. David becomes king. The Bathsheba thing happens, right? David loses some moral authority through that, through that moment. His son, his favorite son, Amnon, dies. And another of his son, Absalom, starts to revolt against King David. This is a fantastic story. It's in First Second Samuel. You should read it. It's a riveting tale. They should make a Netflix series about it. They will one day. Absalom starts to rise up in this revolt. This little sub army to take over the throne, to take over from King David. And eventually he rises up and he declares himself king. He wins the loyalty of the city and he declares himself king. And so David, to save his family, to save the people that he is with, flees the city. He says, I've got to go. In order to stay alive, in order to keep everybody safe, I'll leave. And so he leaves the city. And as he is leaving, the whole countryside comes out to see their king, their ruler, leave. And they weep. Because it's not supposed to go this way. That's our king leaving the city. The king, David, also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all of the people moved on toward the wilderness the same wilderness that he ran to all those years ago as a young man. Here is David in his 60s or so, as king. Don't we do this? Have you found yourself, like, are you listening to this story going, yeah, I'm picking up some theme of this story in my own story that I've had to run towards the wilderness? In fact, probably you've run to the same wilderness again and again, when things haven't gone the way that they were supposed to, the way that you thought they were going to, when the there you were headed for isn't there anymore. Zadok, who's another one of the priests, was there too with some other Levites. They were the ones responsible for kind of running Jewish culture, the, the, the temple and all of that. They were with them, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were going, if David the king is leaving, then God's presence has to go as well. Because where the Ark of the Covenant goes, that's where God's presence goes. That is the subtle, not so subtle reminder that we've got the Ark of the Covenant. God is on our side. God's on my team, not yours. God's with me. David has learned from the past. When he tried to manipulate the situation by taking Goliath's sword, that led to tremendous loss of life. Made David's life a whole lot more complicated. When he tried to fix the thing that he did with Bathsheba, that led to more loss of life and more public humiliation and complication for David. So third time's a charm, hopefully. David said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. I know, you, I know what you were trying to do, but I am done with that manipulation game. I am surrendering the situation. I've tried, but I'm, I'm leaving this one in God's hands. And you know people like this. David says, and this is the brilliant statement that I think if we could grapple, like grab a hold of and live by, It's a game changer when we face these moments of when the there we were headed for isn't there anymore. David says, If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. He will let me see it again. He will let me dwell in his presence once more. And here's the kicker. But, David says, if God says I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. I'm not going to manipulate this situation. I'm not going to twist arms. I'm not going to do anything to try and make this better because if I do it my way, I've done that before. I know where that leads and it doesn't lead well. So I'm not going to try and twist this. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. I put my life in his hands. There's a song that I love that came out at the very start of this year, right around the 13th of January, 2019, written by uh, Sean Curran. Sean is a member of the Passion Worship Band. You might know uh, Passion Conference, Passion Worship. And the song is called Bigger Than I Thought. And the chorus goes like this. I stop all negotiation with the God of all creation. I have tried doing it my way. I have tried fixing things When they are broken, when the there that I was going for isn't there anymore, I have tried that, but I am not doing that anymore. Instead, I will rest in my heavenly Father's hands. I will leave the rest in my Father's hands. We've sung that this morning. When we put God in his rightful place, when our dreams are broken and when we are distraught, you know people like this who say, not my will but your will be done. What I love about this story is that it doesn't immediately turn up great for David. It's not like David lives this attitude and then the lights come on and everything is all good and in 22 and a half minutes plus ads, everything is wrapped up seemingly with a bow and it's all beautiful and we're all happy with that like it is on TV. David continues, right? The Ark of the Covenant goes back into the city of Jerusalem and David continues up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he goes because he's still lost. But he doesn't abandon God even when it looks to him, maybe, certainly to those around him, that God has abandoned him. Instead, he prays, this brave prayer. Eight words. Do to me whatever seems good to you. This depends on how you view God because if, if you see God as that you've got to do your end of the bargain and I'll do my end of the bargain, then this prayer doesn't work. And if you view God as the sort of vengeful do not step out of line or I'm a you, then this prayer doesn't work. But if you view God as a heavenly father, who made you on purpose for a purpose, then any circumstance can come your way. Any sort of job loss, any sort of rejection, any sort of romantic relationship breakdown can happen to you, and you will go, God, do whatever seems good to to you. Your will, not my will. I won't try and manipulate this. I won't try and negotiate my way out of this. I wouldn't want it to happen this way. If I was writing the script, I'd do it different, but I'm not writing the script. This is on you. I will listen and I will obey. God, you know my desires, but as we've sung this morning, I acknowledge your right to rule. You are in charge. When I said yes to following you, I gave you my life. And so I daily give you my life again and again. And it's hard because it doesn't make sense, and there is no, and it will all be okay by here, or it will all come together by then, but it is a daily step, and this is where peace is, and you've experienced this. Going, it's not my will, it's God's will. I will trust in his hands that he knows what is going on He knows the pain that I'm in because he can see that, and I will yell it at him if he doesn't know, if I don't think he knows. And he is not abandoning me. He is with me in this, and I will trust that he is there. So here's how I want to close this morning. I want us to pray together this prayer. God, I offer you my dreams and my plans. Do to me whatever seems good to you as David prayed. I acknowledge your right to rule. You are God, I am not. Your will be done in me. I'm going to invite us to stand and the, the band's going to come up and, and we're, going to, we're going to sing your kingdom come again as a, as a prayer to say that as we face whatever circumstance we're facing and as we're going through whatever it is that we're going through, God, your will, not my will. I'm not going to negotiate my way out of this. I want. You to lead me. So, would you stand and pray this with me? Heavenly Father, I offer you my dreams and plans. Do whatever to me seems good to you. I acknowledge your right to rule, your will be done in me.